And welcome into Poke the Bear, episode 186, presented by CLNS Media and sponsored by our good friends over at FanDuel and Factor Meals. My name is Connor Ryan, and once again, we are joined by 98.5 The Sports Hubs, Ty Anderson. Ty, what's up? What's happening, man? How are we doing? I'm doing swell, Ty. Doing swell. Uh, we are trudging through. Uh, it, it should be a joyous time of the year, the holiday season, but when it's like uh, hockey or pro sports or the Bruins... It's kind of a, a slow stretch here. Uh, the Bruins haven't really been playing a lot of riveting games. We're recording this on Friday, so I'm going to assume, I'm going to look into my crystal ball, that a row game against the Islanders is not going to really be that riveting. How dare Again, you? When they, yeah, when it's a 5-1 game or something, then you can come back and yell at me. But um, whether it be, whatever happens tonight at UBS Arena, uh, their previous game against the Devils, bit of a slow stretch here. So we'll, we'll talk a little mm. bit about... Um, the Bruins play as of late, but then maybe we'll get more big picture things. But um, I guess starting off, let's look at the one game we do have, we can kind of glean from, which is uh, Bruins go to New Jersey. Devils viewed as a uh, potential powerhouse in the, in the league going into the year. Bit of a slow start. Bruins come away with a 2-1 OT loss, get a point out of it. Um, what kind of stood out to you, Ty, out of this game that really was not that riveting? It felt like an old New Jersey Devils game as opposed yeah. to kind of the run and gun that they've been over the last maybe year and a half. Yeah. You know, it's really interesting, right? Cause you can look at it from the standpoint of, well, you held a run and gun team to one goal through 60 minutes of play. And there's something to be said for that, especially when you're lacking Charlie McAvoy and Pavel Zaka, who's been utilized as a two way center more so this year than ever before. Uh, the flip side of that is you don't score enough to win that game, which kind of almost negates your ability to shut them down. So it kind of highlights the best and the worst of the Bruins all at once. Uh, you got some terrific goaltending from Jeremy Swayman. Uh, defensively, again, like I said, good good effort. Uh, PK, I thought, was great. But you don't score enough goals, right? And so that is the that is the tug of war that this team is going to have basically all season long, it feels like, where you're going to have to hope that you can just eke out a win. You know, you can eke out just enough of what you need to get the two points. So uh, overall, like, listen, when you can make Jack Hughes and Nico Heischer, like, when you can make them kind of quiet, that's always a good sign. It's just, you know, you get the overtime frame. Okay, well, now the skill is going to show, and I think you saw it play out that way. That's why, like, Toronto has that absurd record where I think most of their wins are in OT, even though they lost uh, the Blue Jackets, which is the most uh, Maple Leaf loss on Thursday night of down 5-0 in the third period, come back, tie the Blue Jackets, and lose. Like that, that We all saw that kind of script coming, but when you have the, the Devils with Jack Hughes and those guys out there, it uh, tends to be an advantage for them, but... I think when you look at uh, the Bruins' loss on Thursday, that seems like a scenario that I think we all saw playing out as to if the Bruins are going to, you know, kind of trudge through, tread water a little bit here. Those are the, the games that they're going to come up just short, right? Like the defense was going to be there. Goaltending was going to be great. Just don't have enough offensive firepower to kind of land that knockout punch. And I think when you look at how some of their losses have been this year, it's almost kind of been a little bit of the inverse, right? Where I think maybe the most surprising thing at times during these losses has been the defense in front of them, uh, leaving a lot to be desired. The rush defense kind of being out of whack. Um, so this game, I think, was more in line with what we expected from this team. We didn't expect like them to be really struggling against the rush, really, uh, you know, leaving that front open. Those things. But when you're playing a, a you know a stingy kind of game, your goaltending is is keeping you in the fight. We just can't push across that extra goal. Like this was, a, I think, an ultimate game where this was last year when you had that much scoring depth. You come away with the win there. You get that extra goal in the third period, what have you, you come away with the win. Not as easy this year when you look at the, the firepower up front, especially. 
Yeah, absolutely. And that's sort of, you know, you look at like the, the underlying metrics there, right? I think on five on five, I think they were separated by one or two shots. I think it was 25, 24 or, or thereabouts. It's, it's when you get to the other stuff that, okay, wow, this team has more horses than you do, you know, or this team has more firepower than you do. So I, I think that, you know, they got to be more opportunistic than they were a year ago, right? Like they have to be, you know, remember those old, those old Canadian teams in like the mid 2010s where they'd get outshot or, or they wouldn't have the bevy of chances, but they would score on their chances. It kind of feels like the Bruins yeah. have to be more opportunistic now, you know, than dominant because they're not going to be dominant. You look at their, their puck possession game. Like they are not a dominant puck possession team. They need to be opportunistic. And so when you're lacking the scoring punch or when you aren't getting, you know, the, the in-game takeovers like you had when Brad Marchand was leading you to wins over over uh, over uh, Toronto and Columbus and David Pasternak doing his thing against the, the Coyotes, it really highlights your need for, for other guys, you know, to really step up. And we've talked about this before, but like they are desperate for somebody to emerge as a legit number three option on the scoring front yeah. for them. You know, up front, especially, especially if they're in the middle six somewhere. Like, if they are somewhere in the middle six, that's a welcome sight for this team. Yeah, without a doubt. It's almost like when you look at the way these lines have kind of sorted out, and obviously Montgomery's kind of put them in a blender. The best case scenario is you have uh, a situation where I think you keep Coyle, JVR, and Frederick together, because whatever it is about that crew, numbers are great. They always play well together. If you can pencil that in, but then you have another guy that can drive play up with the usual suspects like, uh, like Marshand or Pasternak or what have you. Like, so a guy like DeBrusque, I think is so important. You need that guy to go on a heater and, and keep it, keep it going. Right. You don't want just another, you know, typical five goals in eight games or, or what have you from DeBrusque. You'll take it. You'll probably win quite a few games when your goaltending and your defense is that good when a guy like him's going off. But that's a guy that I think stands out that you desperately need to get, get him rolling it or being just a consistent conduit of offense. Cause right now you just cannot rely on, Marshawn and Pasternak to bail you out and then putting all that pressure on guys that already have a whole bunch of pressure on them in a coil or a Zaka night in night out. And it's not sustainable when you look at the way this line is built. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, you're getting some solid contributions that, you know, from Matthew Patra, from Danton Heinen. But, you know, yeah. if you told me in July that that's who you're going to be relying on for, for your secondary scoring, I'd say you're going to be in some trouble and you're kind of seeing that a little bit. So, you know, it's going to be, we've talked about their identity. We've talked about what they're going to most likely be like. It's playing out that way. It's just some of the guys that we thought would be big time contributors, namely Jake DeBrusque. Like you got to get a little bit going here, you know? And, and I think he's like, and it's so hard for me to say that because I think he's doing other things really well. Yeah, It's just, this team is built for him to be their best, their third best scorer right now. And it's not happening. So uh, that's where you got to hope that, you know, Either other guys can continue to step up, step up, or he can find himself going here. What I will say is that he uh, enters tonight's game. He's got some pretty good recent numbers against New York, so maybe this is a time where he can get going here, get that spark going a little bit, and see if it can turn into something. Absolutely, you need to get him on a roll desperately. Um, one guy that has kind of stepped up, especially in the last couple of games, uh, Morgan Geeky, who I think uh, I was high on after they signed him. I was one of the the leading uh, people driving the caravan of the Geek Squad. A bit of a, a rough start to the year in terms of just finding a, a consistent role. People thought maybe he was a 3C going into the preseason. Ends up, you know, playing on the wing with Pacha early on. That line looked pretty good. Ends up going to the fourth line. Steps up now with Zaka being out. And I think he's been pretty solid so far. And I, I think the one thing that always just stood out to me about 
geeky in his limited time is six three, but not like the not a power forward or a big guy like that, but always seems to have the puck behind the net. Like always seems to be putting himself in the right spots that I think especially over this stretch here where he's up with guys that are more uh you know more established, higher octane offensive players like a Pasternak or DeBrusque. If you have a guy who's poised with the puck that operates down low like that and you're feeding it to a guy like Pasternak or DeBrusque as opposed to a Beecher or a Lauko, odds are you have a good chance of kind of boosting up your offensive numbers. So I, th- I think he's been actually pretty solid so far. It's just maybe a temporary guy in that spot. Yeah, 100%. I, I mean, it kind of reminds me of like, you know, like that's what you're mentioning is why I loved Geeky with Potter because I thought that he did yeah. the dirty work to, to open up space and time for Potter to succeed. And I thought that was a huge reason why Potter was so successful out of the gate. You know, he had what seven points in his first 11 NHL games. I think it was like, like geeky was a reason for that. And it may have flown under the radar because it wasn't flashy, but he was doing, you know, the, the, the grunt work. He was extending plays, using his body around the, uh, around the net behind the net in the corners, you know, to, to fish out the puck, to get it to Potter. So, you know, if he can do that with, with David Pasternak, well, a lot of guys have had a lot of success doing that over the years. You know, again, uh, Taylor Hall, Eric Halla, Pavel Zaka, you know, the list goes on and on. And, and you know, and, and I've said this to you before, but like if he's your Riley Nash, the guy that you can move up to the yeah. top six without missing a beat, like that's a lot of pressure taken off your team as a whole, right? And you can take some more chances here with other lineup configurations and other lines and, and just see what you got here or there. But ultimately, I, I do think that, you know, you look at it and, you know, Geeky is a guy that is appealing, you know, for all the reasons you mentioned, as well as the fact that, you know, you look at his points last year in Seattle in a fourth line role, like there may be something more there. There may be something more than, you know, fourth line, third line kind of ceiling. Is he a, is he a fixture in your top six? Probably not. But again, from what you've seen, like you've seen some sparks here that make you think this guy could be something more, I think. Yeah, I think that was one of the most appealing aspects of his game when the Bruins were looking at, all right, when we have that much cap space, one of our primary flaws over the years has been five-on-five scoring. When you have a guy like Gigi who I think only averaged like just over 11 minutes per game, like way below even guys like Frederick or Felino last year on the Bruins, had almost 30 points. Like if you did the – if you want to crunch the five-on-five per 60, he's up there with like, you know, in the top 40. And again, that's not to say that you give him – 16, 17 minutes a night, that's automatically going to translate to a 50-point guy. But right. when you look at his skill set, what he has with those reps, um, you know, that he had in Seattle, makes the case that, all right, maybe he's not a 50-point guy. He could be a 35, 40-point guy maybe in that right role that can do a little bit of everything. And I think you've seen that so far. So I'm very curious to see where exactly he kind of fits in once Zaka does come back. Because, again, those are your top six centermen right there with with Coyle and, and Zaka. But – I can't really see it being a spot where you just continue to keep Kiki on the fourth line because he has maybe a little bit more spark there offensively, but still I think it's a, a work in progress, especially with how that kind of, I don't want to call it the third line because, you know, is Coyle the third line, whatever I don't it know is, what but, the lines are. I have no they, idea they, anymore. They, there's the Pasternak line and then it's, meh. yeah, like, exactly. Exactly. I'd be, I'd be inclined in a perfect world to be like the JVR Coyle Frederick line is your de facto like second line because they've been your best line. They're outscoring teams, I think seven to two, tilting the ice whenever they're out there. Like they're playing like a top six line, even if maybe conventionally they're not what you envision being a a top six grouping. So, yeah, um, I mean, listen, if Morgan Geeky is store brand Michael Bunting for you, you'll take it. Like 
Vanilla Bunting. He's not going to do the crap that Michael Bunting did, but you put him with two superstar players or two star players or one star player. Okay, maybe you got a little bit more to squeeze out of the lemon there, and, and and you'll take that. I that like that's where this team is, right? Like they got to squeeze every drop drop of juice out of all their lemons. Like that's that's what they are. So you got to find out where some of these guys fit and where they slot and how to best maximize that. You know, it's like. I'm not even opposed to putting geeky, you know, with Marshan for a little bit and seeing if you get something there as well. Like, yeah, like it just feels like that's what this team has to do. Like they have, they, they are in, we talk about just getting through it, right. Getting through the holidays. They are in that self-discovery zone as well as the just get through it zone. Take some chances, throw some crap at the wall, see what happens. See if something sticks here. I think that's what they should do. Honestly. Yeah, Jim Montgomery is going uh, store to store looking for his Turbo Man doll and is yet to find yes. it yet. All, all he's found is Booster, which fucking yeah. no one yeah. likes Booster. He's going to go to the radio station and be like, Don the Brands of Blitz and Rudolph. He's going to start doing that. <laughs> just just absolutely harass Martin Moe in his, yes. greatest, uh, his greatest film role. Uh, as we go off on a tangent here talking about the greatest uh, holiday uh, cinematic experience of all time, Jingle All the Way, let's take a brief break, Ty, and listen to our good friends over at FanDuel. Score early this NFL season with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Because right now, new customers can get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 Moneyline bet. That's $150 if your team wins. Now is the best time to join FanDuel. The app is easy to use and you can bet on everything from spreads, player props, over-unders, and more. And frankly, that's the best part about FanDuel, that you can bet on anything. You want to bet on how many wins the Patriots are going to have this year? Be my guest. Maybe how many shutouts Jeremy Swayman's going to have this season. Go for it. You can really do it all. So bet now on an app that's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Plus, when you win, you can get paid instantly. So visit FanDuel.com Boston and kick off the NFL season with an offer you don't want to miss. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. 21 plus and present in Mass. $5 pregame money line wager required. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-trollable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. Restrictions apply. See terms at fanduel.com slash sportsbook. Gambling problem? Hope is here. Go to gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support. Play it smart from the start. Go to gamesensema.com or call 1-800-GAM-1234. Once again, shout out to our good friends over at FanDuel. So, Ty, we kind of touched on this uh, earlier on in the episode, but we'll go back to it now. Jake DeBrusque, we know how important he is to this team, uh, especially offensively. As you said, playing a lot of even-strength ice time, playing the key role in the PK, has really done a a good job at rounding out his overall game and being a a useful player whenever he hops over the boards. Um, But his value is going to wane if he's not putting the puck in the back of him. That's still why he's here. That's still what he's best at. Uh, over his career, and it hasn't been the case so far. Um, so this is maybe looking more at the tea leaves ahead in terms of what the Bruins are going to do. But whether it's resigning, letting him walk, trading him, what do you think the Bruins? You know, what do you envision them being the best path forward for them? I think you got to resign him. Still, you know, even even if you're frustrated with how he's playing this year, I, I don't know if you have anybody in house who's ready to eclipse him in terms of his production and, and what he brings to you. I don't know if the free agent market can bring you a, an, an upgrade there um, as well. 
And you got to be mindful of the fact that Brad Marchand is your currently your best left winger. He's 36 years old. Like, like that, that, that is, that has to be in the back of your mind. So if you don't have anybody in house knocking at the door and you don't have, you know, and you're mindful of your, your, your top, your top left wingers age right now, I think you have to sign him. It's just a matter of what is the price? You know, like I entered this year thinking the Brandon Hagel contract is where you go. Yep. Has that come down though? Like, has that come down a little bit because DeBrusque has not been the same player that he was a year ago. And sure, there are other factors involved in that. Yeah, but you got to operate with what you have in front of you, right? And so as it come down, I do wonder if that's that's a legit thing now for the Bruins in terms of what they're willing to pay for him. Yeah, I think that's the biggest key because I, I can't see them trading him. We, we'll talk about trade discussions a little bit later on the podcast, but he's still such a useful asset that it's not just someone you, you, you throw away to make the money work per se. I don't think you'll let him walk because, um, again, I can't see him. If let's say he finishes the year with, heats up and ends up with 20 goals. Like we all think what this was going to be the year he was going to break through at 30, but 20 goals still right. plays, you know, a good two-way game. I can't see him like going on the market and someone throwing six, uh, 6 million or, you know, something like that at him. So I, I can't see a situation like that. So if you're the Bruins and the price is five, you know, four and a half, something like that, I think that's a guy you still have to re-up if it's just falling around that level. And again, hell, if there's ever a guy to go on a heater and still put himself in a spot to get 25 plus goals, it could be DeBrusque just on the way he plays. And the fact that I think he's been pretty unlucky, but I think, you know, where his value is too, is as you said, you're trying to, you know, keep this uh, sustainable, you know, winning roster in place. A guy like DeBrusque, again, you're banking on to score goals. We know that. And that's where his value is. But we look at everything else he does, you know, if you let him walk or something like that, you say like, oh, we have a guy like Merkulov, or we have a guy like Lysel or something, some other, you know, winger down in Providence, what have you. It's like, well, they're not polished enough yet. Like DeBrusque, again, as frustrating as he's not scoring, he's still a guy that has been in the system, knows how to play a responsible game. You're not worried about him sitting out every couple of games or his minutes getting cut. Like that's not been the case at all there uh, this year with him in terms of, him landing in Montgomery's doghouse or anything like that. Like he's still a guy that night in and night out is doing enough to help you win. It's just, he's not, you know, it's like when you have a, a great like five tool baseball player and like they're in a bit of a slump, but they're still playing great defense, stealing you a couple of bases, doing the little things. It's not what, you know, Barry Bonds didn't get paid to just like steal 40 base, you know, 40 bases a year. They had to hit dingers, but um, he's still bringing value to your team. And not to say that, Jake DeBrusque is Barry Bonds. He's not the same level. It's not the John Dowd of the NHL, but he's still doing, I think, enough stuff to DeBrusque where if he's available for four and a half, five, five and a half, I think that's a guy you have to re-up and keep here because <clears throat> the way he plays, I think you can assume he's going to still average around 20-ish goals a season the way he just operates in the offensive zone. Yeah, and the other part of it too is like, you know, I would still sign him to a seven-year deal five and a half per I I would do it I would do it and you know a lot of the reason is because of what you're talking about you know that Jake DeBrusque has played I uh, over 50 minutes on the PK this year the opponents have scored one goal during those 50 minutes there is value there when you are a low scoring team and, and when you struggle to score if you have a PK guy who during his 52 minutes on the ice the po- the opponents have scored one goal like that, like I put a, I put significant value in that. Yes. Like we've said, you want him scoring more, 
But if he's going to round out his game and become, you know, Marshan light when it comes to killing penalties, becoming dependable and reliable and, and utilized frequently in that role, that's huge. And, and you, you trust that he has the natural goal scoring ability that he's always had yeah. to pull himself out of those funks. If he's learning more tricks and adding more to his toolbox, like you mentioned, that's huge. And in case you're curious, I, I went and crunched these numbers here. 78 NHL forwards have played 50 minutes on the kill this year, at least. DeBrusque's on the ice, goals against per 60, 1.15. That's number one out of that group of 70 of uh, 78 players. So he is, is doing his job on the PK. Yes, you want more scoring. Absolutely. But I, I can't ignore that impact of his game. As frustrating as he is, as frustrating as the lack of goals may be, like that part of it is why I'm not willing to throw him out and say, nope, sell him off as high as you can. Yeah. No, and it's also like I even – you look at the way he's playing in the offensive zone. Like I wouldn't even say it's maybe in past years where it's like, all right, he's floating outside the zone. Like this is a guy that, again, whether it's shooting luck, whether it's a bunch of other factors, again, and I'll I'll be on this ship as it's sinking in February if he's still on pace for 12 goals or something like that. You know, I'll still right. go down with, with just the way he plays, but – I think you look at just um, his approach, his speed, his knack for hanging around the net front, uh, doing all those little things that you keep at it. The 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 regression you've seen right now is going to bounce back at some point. Like just the way he plays, it's not something that's reliant on um, you know his own effort or what have you. Like if he keeps on doing what he's doing, whether it's this year or in the years ahead, if you're hesitant about giving him a long term contract, I think it's very safe to pencil him in for. 20-ish goals year in and year out. Like, again, maybe that's just the optimistic viewpoint, but when you add in what he brings in terms of his responsibilities defensively, um, he can play the power play. Hasn't really been the case this year, but he rounded his overall game. If you can get him for $5 million a year for what he brings and what he should provide on an average basis offensively, it seems like that's a guy worth retaining. As you're trying to build this next foundation, having him be a guy you can pencil in every year in your middle six, pretty good yeah 100% and and you know to to what we talked about like if you had somebody knocking at the door or or pushing him on the roster right now you know for his minutes i i'd say you know you keep you you you, you sort of test the waters and see what you can get for him but i just i simply don't see the external option that is a bona fide legit upgrade at be it Right wing two, left wing two, right wing one, whatever, like whatever it may be. Like, what is the most cost efficient way of replacing him? And is it an upgrade? And I simply don't see that. Yeah, no, absolutely. I agree. So uh, we'll see if he can maybe break out with this game. As you said, he has a good track record against the Islanders. Got some net front time on the power play in the last game. Maybe some more reps there will get him going as well. So uh, Bruins definitely need a breakout performance from him. But Ty, as we kind of turn and look ahead to maybe – uh, the Bruins plans in February and March. Uh, before we get to that, let's take another uh, brief break and hear from our other sponsors at Factor Meals. Once again, shout out to our good friends over at Factor Meals. All right, Ty, uh, let's look ahead to uh, a fun part of, of the season uh, as we trudge through the, the slow days of December. Uh, trade deadline. Trade targets for the Bruins, and I think uh, one name you're starting to hear a little bit more, especially just across the league, Elias Lindholm of the Calgary Flames. Calgary, 
not very good. Lindholm, pending free agent, put two and two together. Would not be surprised if he's playing somewhere else here uh, later on this winter. Uh, a couple people have mentioned before the interest of the Bruins having Lindholm. I think Kevin Weeks recently threw that name out there. Again, it's easy to put that correlation together when you look at losing guys like Bergeron and Krejci and what you know Lindholm's uh, style of play is. I know you've mentioned Lindholm, I think, back in the summer as a guy the Bruins should kind of circle on their uh, wish list. Um, but how likely do you think it is that the Bruins are realistic, uh, you know, buyers uh, at the deadline for a guy like Lindholm in terms of what, what he can bring this team? Yeah, you know, it, it, it'd be great. I struggle to see how they can make this work from a trade standpoint. Um, and I say that for a variety of reasons. One, uh, their lack of capital, particularly on, on the trade front when it comes to futures, not a lot of prospects, not a lot of draft picks. So how, how do you make that trade happen? I don't know if you're going to get Calgary to bite on, you know, a package of, of, Hey, we got Matt Grizzlick and Jake DeBrusque and oh, you want, you know, you want, you want Johnny Beecher too? Like, like that sounds kind of unlikely, right? Like they're yeah. going to want, I think futures, especially with the, with the problems that they've had uh, retaining players and or players wanting to stay there. So I just don't see how they can make a trade work without getting super creative or simply mortgaging even more of their already limited future, in my opinion. Yeah. I feel like it's one of those things where I could see Don Sweeney, the Bruins like looking at it. And again, they're very, I think cognizant of the fact you can't keep on going back to the well and giving up future first round picks and prospects and what have you. Cause uh, you've done it quite a bit over the last couple of years. You gotta, you gotta put into it at some point, but even if like they were like, all right, if Lindholm's a guy that, you know, is a great two-way centerman that we can bring in this year, can sign him long-term, and he's part of that next foundation as another top-six centerman, maybe they do whatever, whenever the hell their next first-round pick is, is what, 25, 26? Like it, I, believe it's, want, uh, I believe it's 3,063. I believe so. When they want to get, yes, yeah, so I believe when they get to the 3,067th uh, first-round pick, if they want to trade that, I could see that being the case. But even if they made that commitment, because they – believe that Lindholm's a guy they want to keep around long-term, you still need to make the money work. Like, even if you wanted to once again do that, you need to take NHL assets off this roster that, again, not only are you subtracting from this roster of guys that are probably pretty useful, but as you said, what does Calgary necessarily want? Like, that's a team that right. they, they tried to do uh, – I give them at least credit for trying to keep the, the ship afloat after the Goudreau thing and kind of the moves they made of still being contenders, but – Hasn't worked out. So they're probably looking at a long-term rebuild of trying to start anew as they uh, move out of that ancient uh, building that they currently uh, work in and, and what have you. But they don't want, I imagine, a, a Grizzly or DeBrusque. These guys are also going to be free agents. Like, all, What's like the one that we've noticed about Calgary is like, uh, who was it? Um, Uyghur being like, yeah, like we need a new fucking locker room. Right. It's not really that appealing when like you have guys like DeBrusque who can go anywhere or Grizzly, it's like, oh, should I go stay in Calgary up in up in Alberta for like this busted ass arena when I just came from like, the right. Bruins and their facilities? Like you're you're looking for younger talent. So unless it's rookies or, or guys on their early deals that you can kind of keep there and and pitch them as being part of the next generation, I can't see the Bruins moving guys like, as you said, the Fulberts, the Grizzlicks, the the uh DeBrusque as being the key pieces there, but you need to do that. You, you, the money does not work. You have about 50,000, I think in cap space right now. So yes, maybe the 
a future first or a blue chip prospect, if you even have any you want to give up, are the headliners there. But to make the money work, you got to be very, very creative if you're the Bruins in that situation. Yeah, and that's why I just have a hard time seeing it work for them right now. Like, he's the guy that they are now hoping gets to July 1. And and, and you know what? That's the bet that they made. Like, they went all in last year, and we understand why. You know, with Krejci and Bergeron, you know, being gone, and with with the last year of David Postrock not not making $11 million, like, you had to do it. Like, you had to say, this is our final kick with this core. But the bill is due, and it's and it's been due for a little while now. So you're paying it right now, and I think at a certain point, organizationally, as you said, you need to stop robbing from tomorrow to pay today's bills because that's the quickest way to never get out of it. Like, you know, like the like the Bruins have said. You know, I remember I've said this before. Like when I when I talked to Don Sweeney when they signed David Pasternak, I asked him how important is it to have him here long term, and. Sweeney said, players talk. They realize who is on what team. If I'm if I'm Elias Lindholm, I'm saying I could maybe go to Boston in the summer and sign with sign him. And now I'm I'm centering David Postrock for the next 10 years of my career. Like that's a pretty good deal, I think, if you're him. So I, I think that's how it has to play out for the Bruins because I just don't see like they are built to make one small move. Yep. Maybe one, like maybe a free agent signing, and that's it. Like they can't, they can't make a big trade this year. So I think if you're hoping for Elias Lindholm by the trade market, I don't see how it happens. Yeah, I agree. It's something where the Bruins are well equipped, especially I think this offseason, to uh, you know make a splash or two with their cap space and build to a, a group that again, as the cap space keeps on jumping up, and it's going to bump up this year, but also in the years after that, like it's, you're in a pretty good spot where you have so many key guys like McAvoy's and Pasternak's and Coils and Carlos and all these guys signed long term that uh, it's only those deals are only going to look better. But yes, you run the risk of who's going to be available on July 1st, whether it's um, a guy like Lindholm or even like Hannafin, if you're looking at the blue line, what have you. But there'll be enough guys out there that also, whether it's uh, finding a guy in fragrancy or just keeping your options open. Like I look at if you have a lot of cap space and how much of a added weapon that can be in the offseason where you have more leverage over teams that are trying to move a contract. Like, hell, look at like San Jose Sharks with like Tomas Hurdle. I have to imagine they yeah. want to move that contract at some point. If you have the cap space, look at like what the Penguins did in, in terms of moving their guys to accommodate a guy like Carlson, where the priority there for San Jose is just getting that contract off the books. Like, so whether it's that, whether it's, I know like the Coyotes are playing better now, but like in the inevitable year or two, when they're like, wow, we could really move Clayton Keller's contract, having that cap space yeah. or something like that gives you those options. So, yes, I understand wanting to make a move in the next few months, but. The fact that the Bruins have a pretty solid core in place right now with 20 plus million in cap space down the road that can only increase in the years ahead gives you a lot of options. It may not be an, a quick fix. It may not be the the easy route of just, you know, getting a guy like Lindholm out of the gate. But when you have that much cap space available in a really strong core uh, already there, it makes for a pretty appealing pitch to whether it's a, a guy in free agency or a team just trying to look, looking to dump a contract to a still pretty good player. Yeah. And the other part of that too, is like, you know, this is something that is kind of rare for Don Sweeney in terms of, you know, having that cap space. And, you know, I would argue that the times that he has had it, they've kind of been a little too uh, loose with it, you know, like, like their spending spree in 2021, when they went out and signed a bunch of role players, yep. you know, not that great. When they went out and signed David Backus in 2016, not that great. You know, the Belusky signing in 2015, like, like, 
there's an element there of like not blowing it all right away because that's kind of blown up in your face every time you've done it, or at the very least not answered your questions. So I, I think that that's something to be mindful of as well. And, and weaponizing their cap space, I think is going to be the name of the game. And, and I think that, you know, that's the big reason why I'm not, uh, you know, I'm not trading the future just to, just to keep a guy that I could maybe sign on July one. I think you got to play that risk. It's always, it's always risky. I understand that. If I'm the Bruins, I'm playing that game. I'm rolling the dice. I'm saying Elias Lindholm is going to hit for agency in July one. And if he pulls a Bo Horvat or a Hampus Lindholm with the Bruins, so be it. Like you got, you can't, I just, I don't see how you can keep making these kind of trades. I just don't. Yep. No, I agree. As maybe as unflashy as that might be, I'm sure we'll be discussing trade rumors and all that stuff in the months ahead. I think when you just look at the cap constraints more than anything, just can't see a situation where you're going to find trade partners that make sense in terms of even if you wanted to offer up a guy like Brusque or Grizz like that, it's going to be appealing yeah. for guys, adding these kind of guys that are also understood for agents in their own right. So that's kind yeah. of our, our big picture outlook, Ty, looking early, you know, ahead at the trade hysteria uh, with Elias Lindholm, and I'm sure plenty of other guys will pop up in the, the months ahead. But as we kind of wrap this episode up, uh, where can we, uh, where can we read your stuff? Where can we listen to you? Uh, you can read me on 985sportsub.com. Uh, you can hear me on a podcast I have on there with uh, my coworker, Matt Dolph. Uh, it's the Sports Hub Underground. Uh, it's about once a week we drop episodes there. And you can also hear me on what you're listening to right now. Perfect. And you can read my stuff over at boston.com and hear me on this podcast I have with Ty. Also, of course, record with our good friend, Evan Marinovsky. Um, and you can uh, not my friend. Not That's my true. friend. My my personal friend. Uh, <laughs> associate, maybe we'll put. I would, would he be yes. enemy or? Because uh, associate is kind of like what, like, like yeah. Ralph Cifaretto was like an associate of Tony Soprano. So like they, they yes. have beef, but you know, you, you keep it formal, right? As, as yeah. Approach it. So. Nah, he's fine. I like, I like Evan. Yes. Shout, shout out to Evan. He still hasn't been on the pod with all three of us yet. So we'll save that for our like 200th episode spectacular, which we all just yelling at each other, which I think would make for good podcasting, but absolutely. I, I digress. Uh, but yes, you can read all my stuff there. Follow me on Twitter, X at Conorine underscore 93. Um, that will do it for our latest episode of Poke the Bear. Once again, I'm Connor Ryan. That is Ty Anderson. You guys have a great rest of your week. <laughs>